Wolves fans, a new era is here and perhaps the area has never seen more Wolves hysteria. With that, new voices have been called to break it down. The poet coaching the cool crooner sound bring you X's and O's and insight with soul. Wolves talk for now and later with flavor that lasts. Welcome party people to the coaching the crooner Timberwolves podcast. Welcome Twin Cities and Timberwolves podcast land to the Coach and the Culture podcast, the podcast formerly known as the Coach and the Crooner. I am Frank Centuale. I am your host, your guide on this Timberwolves and Minnesota basketball podcast ride and uh, making sure that everything is smoothly in the cockpit. We got the super producer himself, Lloyd Leon Coop. What's happening, Coop? How you doing? Up there? What's up? What's up? We're here. Yeah, we, uh, it's going smooth. It's going smoothly, I should say. Yeah, so we did. Smooth skies, man. No turbulence. No turbulence at all. We what's up. That is what's up. Well, welcome again. Um, we are pivoting from the coach and the crooner and reestablishing ourselves as the coach and the culture podcast and we are going to be mostly on this podcast talking about minnesota timberwolves basketball but we're also going to be talking about the nba kind of in an ancillary way um just around the periphery of the nba and from time to time we're going to have some guests come in um i have some cool friends in the uh, stand-up comedy community who are also uh basketball players or former basketball players college semi-pro even uh, also going to be bringing in people who are uh, just big time Timberwolves fans, who are parents of basketball players, who are doing things on the youth circuit in the Twin Cities, the occasional high school basketball coach. So I'm hoping for a really good summer on the coach and the culture as we talk about everything from stand up comedy to the music scene to uh, the high school scene to the youth AAU scene. And we really just kind of entertain you the whole objective is to come at basketball from a coach's perspective i've had a chance to listen to a lot of the podcasts around the twin cities i read a lot of the sports writers and i understand that you know when you're a professional writer when you're uh sports media that you're coming at everything from a sports media perspective and you're trying to find the story and you're trying to find the angles that uh you think will be really interesting to uh readers or listeners and for myself as a longtime high school and youth basketball coach um the son of a basketball player myself who played at the university of minnesota uh the late leroy gardner jr um the father of a basketball player my son played division three college basketball um i've always kind of taken a coach's perspective when i look at the game even when i was a player the biggest knock on me was that i overthought um and so it's kind of that old adage where you know point guards make good coaches right uh role players make good coaches um and so and i've been coaching for over 20 years at the youth level everything from high school all the way on down and one of the things i've come to realize is that from youth basketball all the way up to the professional level the variables of age and ego and money and 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 concept uh psychological concepts and profiles all of those things change but what wins and loses basketball games is always the same 99% of the time unless you have a transcendent player uh it boils down and even when you do have a transcendent player it boils down to do you control the backboards do you not turn the basketball over? Do you move the basketball and involve bodies and basketball moving cohesively? Do you have trust, at, which is a big part of chemistry? Do you make your labs? Do you make your free throws? Do you play defense? I mean, those things generally determine the outcomes of games. And we've seen that with the Wolves. We've seen that with other teams in these NBA playoffs where you, you know, Golden State, for example, you can shoot the basketball extremely well, but if you don't protect the basketball, if you give up offensive rebounds, if you don't get back in transition defense, um, you're, you're probably going to lose the game. Uh, and so I'd like to look at the game from a coach's perspective. I'd like to look at 
how those things are impacting games. I like to look at why players do or don't do those things. And that's a lot of what this podcast is going to be about is analyzing the Timberwolves from a coach's mindset. And so hopefully you all tune in, you listen, and you enjoy the Coach and the Culture podcast. I am Frank Centwali. I am the coach. So that's our intro to the retread, the reboot. We keep retreading and rebooting this thing, man. But I think now this time we got some good off, off-road tires and we can go through mud. We can go through snow, sleet, ice. We got some winterized off-road tires sitting up on a big body truck. We ready to stay. Whatever it takes, bro. We're here to stay, man. We are here to stay. So I, I want to kind of begin the Timberwolves aspect of this uh, podcast uh, talking about game five uh, because our previous podcast was just before game five and we had Robert Coleman, Rob Coleman, keyboard player extraordinaire. Oh, that's a big Rob. Big Rob, yes, indeed. We had him uh, as a guest and we just kind of talked about the playoffs and we talked about our um, kind of thoughts about game five uh, between the Timberwolves and the Nuggets. And we talked about how we thought it might play out. And both of us kind of felt like it was either going to be the Wolves getting beat by double digits or it was going to come down to a last second shot. Uh, Rob even said he thought that the Wolves would win it on a buzzer beater or they would get blown out. I was leaning toward a 10, 11 point loss or them also needing a last second shot. Well, it turned out they played extremely hard. They played extremely well from a competitiveness standpoint. Um, and they had a shot uh, that was probably missed by less than an inch and a half to send the game into overtime. And given that they're going uh, into Denver without Kyle Anderson, without obviously Nas Reed and Jaden McDaniels, who missed the entire playoff series, I think that showed a lot. Um, and from a coach's perspective, I want to talk a little bit about um, what I'm looking at in that game if I'm the coach. And the first thing that you look at is how hard does your team play? I always tell my teams that the number one step toward winning a basketball game is being able to play as hard as or harder than your opponent. If you don't match your opponent's effort and intensity, you're probably not winning. And we saw that a number of times and how that played out in terms of how many games the Wolves lost to sub-500 teams or teams that are now um, going to be looking forward to the NBA draft lottery. Um, so you have to play as hard or harder than your opponent. I would say that the Wolves played harder than the Nuggets in game five. Um, ultimately, the Nuggets talent prevailed because the Nuggets, they played harder than the Nuggets, but not by a lot, right? It was like, it was an obvious difference in effort level. I think the, the Nuggets played extremely hard. Was that sorry? That's the best conceit or cohesive output to me. Yeah. yeah. I agree. I, I agree. Yeah, I agree. That was a cohesive unit and it showed in the second half. I believe it was one of the few times in the second half that Anthony Edwards, Carl Anthony Towns, and Rudy Gobert all had double figures in a half. Um, and so, you know, that's a positive. The fact that you end the season in a half in which the three players that you were most concerned about how you were going to get to not step on each other's toes um, played well. On the flip side, you still lost a half by two points. And so that speaks to the value of depth and it speaks to the injuries uh, that the Wolves had. Um, and so from the coach's perspective, I'm thinking, wow, our guys went down swinging. They went down and they left it all out on the court. And we would tell our teams going into sectionals at the high school level that win or lose this game. If you lose this game, you want to walk into this locker room knowing that you left it all out on the floor. And I feel like the Timberwolves left it all out on the floor uh, in game five against the Nuggets. Um, obviously, the disappointment uh, was expressed by Anthony Edwards. After he missed that shot, he just ran out of the gym. Um, 
And and I'm sure it was heartbreaking because when you put that much into something, you hope for a better result. But as a coach, I feel like I watched that game and I said, you know, you can build off of this uh, because you clearly have not lost your team. All the conversation about who likes who and who gets along with who and Kyle Anderson and Rudy Gobert, you know, getting into it on the sideline and Rudy being suspended and then you lose to the Lakers and maybe if Rudy's there, you win that game, right? Maybe you get enough stops even though you melted down in the fourth quarter or maybe you get enough offensive rebounds if Rudy's in the game to be able to get that one more basket that you needed to win that game. You come back, you play great in the playing game, you win that game. Um, but you expended a lot of energy to win those two games. And then you go in to play against the number one seed and, you know, you go in there shorthanded, right? You go in there with no knives, who was a Nuggets killer all season long. You go in there, right, man, literally, right? <laughs> and you go in there, you go in there with no Jaden. Jamal Murray was so happy to not be chased around by Jaden McDaniels, he killed the wolf. <laughs> so, right. so uh, you know, and 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 that is no knock on the kill Alexander Walker. And the kill Alexander Walker did a phenomenal job of trying to guard Jamal Murray. But Jaden McDaniels makes guys uncomfortable, and when guys are uncomfortable, they tend to miss shots when they finally do get an open look. And whenever Jamal uh, Murray was able to get uh, uh, Nikhil Alexander Walker away from him, he was knocking down shots. And I just wonder if he ever gets comfortable if he's dealing with Jaden McDaniels for five games and then still maybe having to deal with Alexander Walker coming off the bench. Um, but that's, you know, we'll never know, right? Because the reality is those guys were injured. But uh, if I'm a coach, I'm thinking we go into Denver in a closeout game, missing three of what is now our top eight rotation due to injuries um, and, and, you know, and and trade acquisitions, um, you got to believe that Alexander Walker had jumped Jalen Noel, so you're missing him. You, uh, uh, I mean, you're missing um, Kyle Anderson. You're missing Nas Reed. That's six and seven off the bench. Mm-hmm. You know? and then you're missing Jaden McDaniels. That's a starter. So you're missing three of your top eight rotation right then and there. Um, and, and and you miss a shot with a chance to send it in overtime. Can't ask for much more fight than that from your team. Um, so let's segue out of the end of the season and the way the season ended in game five into uh, a few things that I wanted to take a look at in terms of how the season ended and when we started this experiment that was originally called the coach and the crooner all the way back in November what were some things that we talked about where we thought were going to happen, how we thought the season was going to go. There was all of the chatter about, you know, the Rudy Gobert trade and is the two bigs thing going to work? Are the Timberwolves better? Are they worse? Pat Beverly, we, how did we let go of Pat Beverly? Uh, um, then we traded all of these parts and pieces away for Rudy Gobert and there was so much excitement and enthusiasm. I, you know, the crooner predicted they were going to win 53 games. <laughs> uh, my prediction was a little lower, by the way. I predicted we were going to win. The Wolves were going to win 49 games. And that was, of course, having no idea that Carl Anthony Townsend was going to miss 52 games. And so I stand by my prediction, Super Producer. I My prediction was 49 games. And I feel like if Carl Anthony Towns plays – 70 games, mm-hmm. I think the Timberwolves probably win 48, 49 games. Well, they've won 42 games. So I think Carl Anthony Towns um, only missing 12 games versus missing 52 games. I feel like in those other 40 games, he's worth seven more wins. Excellent. Uh-huh. Um, so, so I'm standing by that prediction, um, but some bad takes. We'll start with the bad takes from the preseason and talk about how those things shaped out. And then we'll go into some good takes that some things that I feel like we were pretty spot on uh, when we talked about it back in November. Mm-hmm. Bad takes first. I'm going to start with uh, the worst take that I made. <laughs> the worst take that I made was I literally listened into a microphone that the fans were going to be exhilarated 
with an excited with a Jordan McLaughlin and Rudy Gobert pick and roll combination. Crack, don't smoke yourself. <laughs> that did not happen the way that I saw it happening. <laughs> and it didn't happen the way that I saw it happening for two reasons. One, Jordan McLaughlin spent a lot of the season hurt. And then when he came back from injury, he was awful. No other way to say it. He was bad. And the other reason is I greatly underestimated Rudy Gobert's catching ability. So I feel like even if Jordan McLaughlin had never gotten hurt, I don't know that Rudy Gobert would have caught the passes he would have thrown. <laughs> so horrible take. Um, we're going to get into probably some some player uh, reviews in a different podcast, but yeah, Jordan McLaughlin to Rudy Gobert. I don't know how good or how bad he is, though. Like, when I, the moments I, I don't know whether he was just, <laughs> the, you just thought it up. Yeah, yeah. It just, I, I just don't know. I mean, I see flashes, like, but during the playoffs, it was kind of hard. I think he, he had a tough uh, matchup. He was tough. It was tough on him before the playoffs started. I just think that coming out of injury, he, uh, I don't know what happened. Mm -hmm. um, and and I think that that's kind of what you just said and the way you said it was he kind of feels like eh, 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 eh. I think that's where everybody is with Jordan McLaughlin right now mm -hmm. um, I don't think he's as bad as he was when he was bad we don't know if he's as good as he was when he was really good in the mm -hmm. playoffs against Memphis the year before and really that stretch of last season um, what we do know is that Rudy's hands, I think, were worse than anybody who's never watched him play 82 games and a playoffs consistently anticipated. Um, and when I talk about anybody, I mean anybody in the Minnesota Timberwolves sphere that only watches the Timberwolves games on a nightly basis and doesn't really watch, didn't watch a lot of Utah Jazz. I know I didn't realize his hands were as bad as they were. So that was a bad take. The other bad take I made is I really thought Torian Prince was going to have a banner year. Um, and he's another person who also dealt with injuries on and off. And he dealt with illness. And then he had some personal issues, whatever that was. Um, it, it, he is kind of synonymous with how the season went. Um, just it, it was one thing after another. Um, he did shoot one percentage point higher than the previous year from the three-point line. Um, but as Ben Beacon has pointed out on um, locked on his Locked On Wolves daily podcast, Torian Prince was woeful rebounding, and and we're going to talk a little bit later in the pod about Timberwolves rebounding problems. But Torian Prince definitely didn't help those any, and uh, Ben Beacon also, I think, very um, astutely pointed out that Torian Prince seemed worse on defense this year than I realized. Either I realized he was, or um, maybe he was dealing with a nagging injury that they just didn't disclose. But he just did not seem to guard the perimeter very well. It seems like players had a pretty easy time getting by him, breaking him down, and getting downhill. Um, and that's worrying for me um, because you know I, I thought that he would be kind of Jalen Noel insurance, meaning if Jalen Noel. Um, was struggling because he can be streaky, even though I really sang his praises at the beginning of the season. I thought Torian Prince would be the steady guy. And although he's not a bad off-ball defender, as LeBron showed when he just drove right by him baseline and they set up that beautiful hammer play to hit um, Dennis Schroeder, Schroeder uh, for the three in the uh, Laker game before Conley hit the three free throws and send it in overtime. Um that was just too easy. It was too easy for LeBron to go by Torian Prince, and I watched a lot of that um, with Torian Prince on defense this year, um, and he was a streaky shooter. So his percentage turned out to be about what it was the previous year, maybe one percentage point higher. But to me, that was a lot of he's really hot for a couple weeks, and then he can't hit the broad side of a barn for a couple weeks, and then he's really hot. Like, you know, it was just really a streaky season for Torian Prince, um, and I think as a veteran, you need more stability than that. 
And and I also think, again, that was kind of parallel with the Wolves season. The Wolves were that way all season long. Mm -hmm. There was no real hot stretch. There was no real, real cold stretch. There was a medium cold stretch. There was a medium hot or, you know, warm stretch. But it was kind of win two, lose two, win three, lose three all season long. Um, And I think Torian Prince was indicative of that. The other bad take was Brent Forbes. Oh man, I would if you would have told me Brent Forbes could not shoot all season long, I I would have bet you the opposite. He shot so bad they waved him. Um, and this was a guy whose praises that both uh, the crooner and I were singing uh, when they picked him up as somebody who we didn't expect him to, you know, be a major difference maker. But he's somebody I thought maybe would win you three games just by coming off the bench and getting red hot and having a lot of open shots. Um, and he did have a lot of open shots. He just didn't make any of them. And so, um, you know, that was that was unfortunate. Um, and that's going to uh, lead into something that I'm going to mention later when I talk about Tim Connolly's exit interview. Um, probably 1A along with my J-Mac and Rudy take, man, in terms of like really, really, really bad takes to begin the season was I also literally had the nerve to utter out of my mouth that I thought that the Wolves were going to win 48 to 49 games because I thought they were going to beat up on bad teams because they had veteran players like Kyle Anderson and Rudy Gobert and Torian Prince and Bryn Forbes and Austin Rivers that would not let them lose games against bad teams teams and it turned out to be the total opposite they sucked against bad teams (laughs) and i i I understand why and i guess you know speaking out of both sides of my mouth this is also going to lead to um one of my good takes that was correct that was a bad omen for the wolves when we get into good takes. So I'll rehash that. That's a teaser. Um, But man, um, you know, I was confident that the way they added veteran depth was going to help them not lose games to bad teams. And now, again, I said all of this, assuming Carl Anthony Towns was going to be healthy for most of the season. And I wonder how many of those bad games that they lost in the last 50 games of the season, um, the last, you know, 50 to 55 games of the season that, you know, like the Detroit loss toward the end of the season, Charlotte, oh my gosh, um, you know, that I wonder if they would have lost those games if they had Cat that were toward the end of the season. Um, but yeah, that got to be right up there with my J-Mac and Rudy take, bro. Bad, 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 bad. I was my take was as bad as the losses to some of them teams. Mm-hmm. You know what? Um, I don't know. I don't want to move ahead, but you spoke of uh, Austin Rivers, mm-hmm. and then they uh, the T Wolves acquired Mike Conley. I wonder how long he's going to stay with the team. But I did see an an improvement. I like the trade for Conley though. Seeing that leadership, that veteran leadership, mm-hmm. I saw that effect uh, in the playoffs and toward the latter part of the, the season. Yeah, we're definitely going to get to that. Yeah, I want. I'm going to definitely talk about that. That conversation is coming because, um, because when we talk about the good takes again, it, it leads back into second teaser that take that I made at the beginning of the season that turned out to be absolutely spot on but it's bad omen for the Wolves, and I think is a reason why the record ended up being what it was after the cat injury. I think the cat injury cost them six to seven games, but that's not the only thing that happened. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, so that, that actually, that, 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 uh, bad losses <laughs> take was kind of the last of my, of my bad takes. Um, you know, again, I predicted 48 wins. Um, we knew Cat was going to miss some time. Very rarely does a player play all 82 games. Um, and he has had 
some some nicks and knacks and some injury problems of the last few years, um, we didn't expect it to turn into five and a half months, right? So when we were having these, when we, I was predicting a 48-49 win season, I was not expecting Cat to be out for five and a half months. And I think that played a big role. I don't care what anybody says. Uh, that caused right. him to, for a lot of reasons, which mm-hmm. we'll talk about later. Let's go to the good takes because I want to double back on what you talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can go there first, and then we'll go. We'll, we don't have to do these in any particular order. So let's go to that first. I did say that uh, when when Kroner said he thought they were going to win 53 games, I predicted 49 games, and I said I'm not willing to give this team 50 games yet. And the reason I said I'm not willing to give this team 50 games, and this is with D'Angelo Russell still on the team as well, mm-hmm. I said I went back to listen to it so I could quote myself. Mm-hmm. I said I worried about all the wasted possessions over the course of the season. And what I'm getting to with that statement is the maturity issue. I My number one biggest concern about this team going into this season was – would they be mature enough to reach their potential? I felt like this was still an immature basketball team. Mm -hmm. I felt like Ant being 21 still had a lot of maturing to do. I felt like Jaden being 22 still had a lot of maturing to do. I felt like D'Lo's style does not help immature young players. I feel like his style enables them um, to kind of hold on to that immaturity a little bit. Um, and that's not a knock on D'Lo. He just doesn't manage games, in my opinion. Um, and so when you don't have a true game manager, you know, when when the nuts and bolts on the – on when, when the lug nuts are a little bit loose or when the steering is a little bit loose, the car can be a little bit, you know, wobbly in the turns, Right. Um, and so I just felt like, you know, D'Lo as kind of steering the vehicle, um, I felt like the, the steering was a little bit loose and that's just because of that's how he plays a little bit of free, a little bit of a gunslinger mentality. And I don't think that really necessarily helps an immature team. And then, you know, all of the talk about cat and his on court basketball, emotional maturity, and would he be willing to take that next step? And so that was my worry. Um, and so going into what you just said about the Mike Conley acquisition, I absolutely believe that Mike Conley brought an element of emotional stability to the on-court style of play. And I know that seems like a weird thing to say, because yes, Mike Conley was on the team when Rudy Gobert gave a chest shot to Kyle Anderson. And yes, Mike Conley was on the team when Jaden uh, McDaniels walked into the tunnel and punched the curtain, I mean, wall. And <laughs> and, and, uh, and uh, so, you know, but I'm talking about in terms of their um, style of play on the court because their overall turnovers decreased when Mike Conley uh, took over the helm, right? right. Uh, and I feel like their shot selection improved. Mm-hmm. It wasn't great still, but I do feel like their shot selection improved and I felt like their attention to detail defensively improved. And I think that really showed up in the playoffs. I thought that they defended really, really, really well against Denver in the playoffs. I just feel like the injuries left them too shorthanded in terms of bench scoring. The Nas Reed injury especially. You know, what What if Nas Reed averages 15 to 18 points a game off the bench in those five-game series? It's a completely different series. It makes a difference, yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you look at, you know, game five, if you have Kyle Anderson and Nas Reed, you know, so I, I just think um, – and, and then also, if you have Jaden McDaniels, then Kyle Anderson – you know, or Nikhil Alexander-Walker are both coming off the bench, right? So I just think, Jaden McDaniels, I did say Jaden McDaniels, right? I, if, 
I apologize if I say Jaden Anderson. I have a player that I coached last year on my Richfield basketball team named Jaden Anderson. Love that kid. So because of that, that name is still in my subconscious. But I'm talking about Jaden McDaniels because Jaden Anderson is nowhere near the NBA. <laughs> so, uh, yes. No, man, and probably never, but he, he's a great kid. <laughs> so. You know, I, he's not him on the court, but he's the great kid. He's going to be a good role player at, at the high school level. Uh, but anyway, I digress. So I do think that, you know, my take on the maturity was spot on. And that's something that Chris Finch talked about consistently. Tim Connolly in his exit interview, which we're going to get to, talked about, you know, IQ. He said you can never have too much shooting and too much IQ. Well, bringing in Kyle Anderson was an upgrade in the IQ most of the time. Brent Forbes was supposed to be an upgrade in shooting. Brent Forbes didn't work out too well. Kyle Anderson, you know, did spend some time hurt this season, but he was huge when he was healthy. Um, and I venture to think that maybe they win game five if Kyle Anderson is playing, if Sonoma is playing. So, you know, those injuries really hurt. Um, but I think maturity was – uh, outside of injuries was this team's second biggest weakness, right? Um, so another good take that I felt like I made uh, was I talked about Nas Reed was going to be a good rotational player and be a difference maker. And a lot of people were talking about, are they going to trade Nas Reed at the deadline? Is there a place for him on this team? Is there a fit for him on this team? People are still wondering, can you pay Nas Reed to keep him on the team? Is there a role for him if Cat and Rudy are both healthy? Because it kind of worked out because Cat got hurt. Nas Reed had a very clear role. Um, my thoughts are OG Bobby Portis for the Milwaukee Bucks. So Bobby Portis was a six-man-of-the-year candidate who was a 4-5. He's a four, but, you know, can play five in this new small ball era. Uh, why can't Nas Reed be a six-man of the year candidate and be a four-five that can play with another big or without either of the bigs right. um, and play in multiple roles, right? Um, and so, you know, and if I recall, the Milwaukee Bucks won a championship with Bobby Portis playing in that four spot uh, coming off the bench. So... Uh, that was a good take uh, that I'm going to go ahead and pat myself on the back on because Nas Reed is somebody that now everybody in the Timberwolves world is talking about. We have to sign him. We have to bring him back. Jaden McDaniel, the locker room, it says Nas Reed, from what I understand, on his way out the locker room on a consistent basis. So um, the other take, another take that I was a good take that uh, I think came to fruition, uh, maybe not to the extent that uh, I was worried about, but in a season in which three games is the difference between being uh, the, uh, you know, eight seed in the play-in or the four seed and having a home court uh, advantage first-round playoff series uh, was Rudy Gobert's free-throw shooting, especially in the fourth quarter. And I know that there was at least three games where if Rudy Gobert makes fourth quarter or down the stretch free throws, the Timberwolves win those games. Mm -hmm. And you can say that for a lot of variables and a lot of factors throughout the season. And you could probably say free throw shooting in its totality for the Timberwolves killed them down the stretch of the season. Um, and that goes back to maturity and details and the little things. Remember we talked about at the beginning of the podcast, what are the factors that win basketball games, whether you're playing, playing fifth grade traveling or whether you're playing in the NBA and free throws is one of those factors. Uh, but, you know, Rudy Gobert missed the free throws against Utah with a chance to tie the game uh, down the stretch early in the season. And he missed some critical fourth quarter free throws in some games down the stretch of the season. And I knew that was going to be an issue um, was will Rudy be able to make fourth quarter clutch free throws? Um, and, and that turned out to be, you know, not a major, major storyline, but it did cost them a few games over the course of a season. For, um, I did utter the words, uh, way back in November, um, or I believe it was November. I said that the last few games of the season were probably going to tell the story of where the Timberwolves ended up. I said they could lose three games in a row and go from a 3-4 seed to the play-in. That was almost prophetic. Um, 
that's how the season played out. I don't think anybody expected 45 or 46 wins or whatever it was to get you a four seed um, in the West. But the reality of how it worked out is, you know, they had a little rough patch where they lost a few games down the stretch of the season. And I think it took them from the five seed maybe all the way to the nine seed. And then they had to win, you know, their last three games in a row to get the eight seed. Right. And so, uh, and then they had to win, you know, the, the, the second playing game just to make the playoffs. Uh, and so that's just the wild, wild West, man. And we knew that going in. Yeah. Uh, and so, and that's how that ended up playing out. Um, one of the other things we talked about earlier in the season was this idea that the early season schedule was going to be easy. Uh, that also plays into the can you beat bad teams. And I went back and and, and listened to my quote from um, back in November when we first started the Coach and the Crooner podcast, and uh, actually October even. And I said, all of these games early are trap games. And that absolutely turned out to be true, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I talked about the importance of getting confidence early that they can be as good as they think they can be. I said, I am very confident the Wolves are going to make the playoffs, but I felt like those early season games were really important so that they could develop confidence that they can be a really good team by waxing some of these non-playoff teams early. Now, Oklahoma City turned out to be a playing team, so maybe those tough games against Oklahoma City early um, were a little bit more prophecy for how Oklahoma City season was going to go as much as it was for the Wolves season. Who knows where Utah ends up if they don't gut their team, um, you know, at the trade deadline. And who knows where the Lakers end up if Utah doesn't give them D'Angelo Russell, Malik Beasley, and Jared Vanderbilt, right? And so, and at the same time, who knows where the Wolves end up if they don't get Mike Conley. Although I think the Wolves probably would have been out of all of those teams, I feel like the Wolves probably would end up have ended up closer to where they ended up, even with the. Um, I think the Lakers probably would have been in trouble without that trade, and I think Utah probably would have been fighting with Oklahoma City um, for that last spot. Uh, so, um, I think that that's kind of how, but that turned out to be how that played out. Not only did they struggle against those quote-unquote non-playoffs, quote-unquote tanking teams early, obviously losing to the Spurs, I think, a couple of times. Um, but it turned out that that was a bugaboo all season long, right? Um, and I have some ideas as to why. Um, as a coach, I think that the most important things for building a team that's taking the step from we have talent to we have talent now and we can compete to we can compete and now we're ready to compete with the big boys and compete for a championship is trust. You have to have trust. And we talked about that in the last podcast. And trust umbrellas over continuity. It umbrellas over symmetry. It umbrellas over chemistry. All of those things are play a, a tentacle in building trust. And if you have a team that has complete trust in what they are doing collectively and who they are as individuals and the coaching staff and what they're trying to get them to execute and their ability to put them in the proper positions to win games, um, now you have transcendence, right? Now you have something that is a variable that overcomes all of those other obstacles like injuries and, and even talent to a certain extent. And, you know, we're going to talk a little bit later about the teams that are left in the playoffs, but there is something that every team that is left in the playoffs can hang their hat on from a trust factor which is why they're still playing. Um, and and so I think that, you know, when you talk about the maturity and losing games that you shouldn't lose and wasting possessions and shot selection and catching the basketball and not melting down at the end of 
games in the fourth quarter. Um, there's a lot of trust factor that plays a role in all of those things. And I just don't feel like the Timberwolves ever had trust in so many areas. I'm not sure that Kyle Anthony Towns completely ever trusted his body from the sickness to the injury. I don't feel like Anthony Edwards ever trusted Rudy Gobert. I know that D'Angelo Russell never trusted Rudy Gobert. Um, I don't feel like from a team perspective, they trusted what they were trying to accomplish on either end of the floor. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't think that Chris Finch could trust his ability to get that cohesiveness in the amount of time that they had to work with given that they really didn't have a training camp with all of their parts. And then, you know, you hope you build into that throughout the course of a season, but then Cat gets injured for, you know, five months. And so you don't have a training camp. You spend 20 games trying to develop a style of play you can trust in, and then a big cog in that style of play gets injured. So now you're spending another 25 to 30 games trying to develop trust in a new style of play, and then you make a big trade, and so now you have to develop trust in new players, and then Cat comes back, and so now you have to reinvent your style of play all over again and learn to trust in that, oh, by the way, in a fight for the playoffs, and then, oh, by the way, going against the number one seed. And so the media can talk about they don't want to hear excuses. The sports writers can talk about, yeah, but you sold us this. And people can say, this is the nature of the beast. This is professional basketball. This is the pros. This is what comes with it. All of that is true. But as a coach, when you strip all of that out of it and get to the basics of what wins and loses basketball games, that is a factor. And I personally think Chris Finch did a phenomenal job getting this team to where he got them, given the fact that there was so much I don't want to say distrust, but there was so much lack of complete and total trust, the type of cohesive trust you have to have to really be successful at a high level. Add that to the injuries, and I feel like a chance to make a shot at the buzzer in Denver to extend a series to a game six might have been the max out. That might have been the last drop of juice left and that orange that they could possibly squeeze out of the circumstances that they were under. Um, and that might be giving them an excuse that might be giving Chris Finch too much credit. But as a coach, I tend to give him that credit because I understand how difficult the job he had was considering trust is so important when you're trying to build a championship level competitive basketball team right so that's kind of my take on how the season ended um and also i think that gives me some hope for next year um and if you're listening i think you know they have some things they have to figure out but i think if they accomplish everything they accomplished and never really were glued together it's worth it to find out what they can accomplish if they can become, if they can find it adhesive so they can become cohesive. So, Coop, you want to talk a little bit about the current state of the NBA playoffs, man. Talk to me. What's on your mind? I'm, I'm loving it. I am you, absolutely loving this year, man. What do you love it? I like the parody in it. Any, anyone can give it. I would say anyone can get it. It's so surprising, man. And uh, of course, we touched on uh, Miami knocking off Milwaukee. Um, yeah, it is several upsets. It look like it look like the Warriors, the Lakers, be upset the Warriors. You know, I I am uh, so I'm torn on that. I really thought Milwaukee was going to come back in the Miami series. Mm -hmm. I was shocked the way that Miami closed Milwaukee out. I should say I was shocked the way Jimmy Butler closed Milwaukee out. Man, he wore him out. Um, and so I hesitate to make a prediction on the Golden State Lakers series because 
I got snake bit in the Milwaukee-Miami series. Mm -hmm. But I feel like Golden State still has a very good shot at winning that series. I, I, I haven't counted them out. It's very possible. We saw LeBron uh, and the Cavs do the 3-1. Yep. To, turn to around. Yeah. yeah. And the Golden State did it against uh, OKC, uh, what, a year or two before that, you know, um, in the playoffs before they, uh, I think it was their first or second championship run. Uh, in the conference, yeah, I think it was conference finals. They came, yeah, yeah, three one different. That's rookie them. Yeah, yeah, and they so I mean, joined them. It can happen. I know, I know. Um, then that's something they're drawing on. At least you know. Well, and and this is the thing. It's on one hand, the Lakers pose some problems that Golden State doesn't have answers for. You think? On the other hand. Golden State has not played clean basketball. And now that's not out of the ordinary for Golden State because they also, you know, their whole team is kind of like D'Angelo Russell when we talked about earlier about him, you know, kind of running a loose, uh, a loose, he, he kind of steers loose in the corners a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and Golden State kind of plays on that edge as a team. But they really haven't played clean basketball. I thought their shot selection down the stretch of game four was atrocious. Mm -hmm. uh, I thought their turnovers in game um, three was really bad. Um, and so, you know, it, they just haven't played clean. Now, some of that is the Lakers have turned into a really good defensive team. Um, and so, you know, I think Dennis Schroeder is outstanding defensively. Um, and I think that AD is right now, him and Joel Embiid are just dominating their series is on the defensive end of the floor. And that's the Lakers going to go with AD. If yeah. You have a, but the, here's, the game. Mm -hmm. here's the thing. AD's doing his thing on offense off and on, but. Where he's dominating the the Golden State Warriors is on the defensive end. Mm -hmm. Again, I always look at things from a coach's perspective. Mm -hmm. Fans look at the scoring numbers and the shooting numbers, and yeah, AD's doing his thing offensively. Golden State can live with AD doing his thing offensively and still win games. He is wearing them out defensively. He absolutely, I mean, he is, he his switches on to Steph Curry at the end of the game, uh, in game right, especially the last game. Yeah, man, it's very rare that Steph gets a big man on him and he has trouble getting a shot off. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, and you know, as brilliant as uh, Golden State has been in the last well, five or six years, right? And with they who they they pick up, you know who they acquired, who they trade for. I wonder if you know they just traded away Wiseman, and I wonder if, if they regret that at this moment. I don't know how. That's a that's a what's they call the word? Well, I, I, I don't know. Read it because I don't think Wiseman was bought into the Golden State Warriors, and and that and when when a team again we talk about that trust factor, right? Mm -hmm. Golden State will not accept lack of trust. I think to a certain extent they're struggling with that with Jordan Poole. Mm -hmm. Is that they know what wins championships is 100% buy-in and 100% trust. Mm -hmm. Right? And um, I don't think Wiseman was ever bought in to it, uh, into that championship level of trust and sacrifice. And that's not uncommon with young players. And I think if anything, what Golden State's struggling with is trying to get where they were while integrating young players. Because today's era of college one-and-done player, many of them never have learned how to win. And um, I, as a matter of fact, I was making this comment on Facebook with somebody earlier today mm -hmm. that winning, you know, you used to go to college and learn how to win. 
And that didn't mean you were going to win the NCAA championship. But if you played three or four years, you understood what it meant to become a part of a team and all of the, the all of the the um, intangibles mm-hmm. that you have to have as a team to win a championship. Mm-hmm. You learn how to sacrifice. You learn how to trust. You learn how to do the little things that you know you'll you wouldn't necessarily have to do in high school because you could just outscore everybody, right? Right. You earn what it takes to try to be a part of winning something monumental. These guys go to college for one year and then they go into the NBA and the NBA is a business and they're trying to make a name for themselves. Everybody dreams of being a star because stars get the big money. Mm-hmm. You're trying to establish yourself. You know, there's so many other things that are important to you besides winning a championship. You say you want to win a championship, right. but you don't even know what you're saying because you've never committed to anything long enough to be a winning part of something that, that that's that difficult. It's not like high school where mm-hmm. you're the elite of the elite. Well, in the NBA, everybody's the elite of the elite. Right. You get the NCAA tournament in college, everybody's elite. Mm-hmm. So even the mid-majors teams now, as you see, are knocking off people left and right because you got own men out there playing basketball against 18 and 19 year olds and team continuity matters mm-hmm. right and you're seeing that reflective at the nba level so so golden state they have some mission you know when they were winning their championships they won with kevin durant who had evolved into that championship type player because he he had lost with oklahoma city he felt the sting he knew what it knew what it took now right when they won their first one they had Harrison Barnes, who was on that same timeline timeline with Steph and Clay, right, and Draymond. Um, and Harrison Barnes, you know, had had paid some dues, you know, and so now they, you know, Jordan Poole, he he wants to be a certain type of player, and maybe not realizing that Golden State doesn't need you to be the type of player they want you to be, that you want to be right now. They need you to be the type of player that they need you to be for them to be successful. Right. And you want to be the type of player that you want to be. So your individual ego and goals is above the team needs right now. Right. They don't need you to hunt difficult shots. They need you to make the open shots. They need you to do a little bit more than you usually do on defense. They need you to rebound a little bit more than you usually rebound. They need you to be a little bit more attentive to the little details. On the flip side, the Lakers, with guys like D'Angelo Russell, who absolutely respects a LeBron James and an Anthony Davis, so he's going to do a little bit extra. Right. Schrader has paid his dues, turned down money, been out, you know, he's been <laughs> through it. You know what I'm saying? So he, right now, we didn't you know that pain. You know what I'm saying? Right, a, a guy like you know, a guy like Austin Reeves, get in where you fit in, man. You know, like he's trying to be about something because you're following the lead of a LeBron James, you know, and there's not an ego clash there. You know what I'm saying? I feel like Golden State's dealing with some ego clash on top of the fact that Clay Thompson is not the Clay Thompson that he was before the injuries. He give me that in flashes. He'll go off for 25. He'll go off for 30. But he's not doing that consistently, game in and game out. He'll go off for 30 and then he'll score eight. Right. You know, and he's not explosive going to the basket at all. He can't get by anybody going to the basket at all. And so the player they need to be elite is Andrew Wiggins. And us Timberwolves fans know how sometimey he can be. Right. If Golden State gets great Andrew Wiggins for the next three games, they could come back and win the series. That's true. If Golden State gets Andrew Wiggins as average, they're going home. Mm-hmm. He's the X factor because he can go for 25 easy if he's aggressive and committed and still play lockdown defense. He has the physical tools and the basketball skill to be elite. They need him to actually be the all-star that he was voted to be. They need him to ascend to a level of play that he has never ascended to in his career on both ends of the floor for them to come back and win this series because Clay's not going to be able to give you any consistency. Right. And so that's kind of where Golden State's at. Yeah, that's going to be, that's going to be, 
man, my popcorn ready for that. Just, yeah, man, but it's gonna be cool. Cool. the game to me. I feel like Golden State's gonna win Game Five. The game to me is gonna be Game Six, back in LA. Can Golden State win Game Six in LA? No, it's mad because they'd be terrible on the road. Yeah. Well, and they just and and I just think that there's gonna be a sense of urgency from LeBron and Anthony Davis that is even more intense than what you've seen this series because I think that if it goes back to game six, Golden State wins them all night and it goes back to game six, I think that um, LeBron is going to throw everything but the kitchen sink at them in game six. Mm -hmm. Don't want to have to go back to Golden State and play a game. You know, Moving over to the East, man. Um, Boston in trouble. In trouble. Boston's in trouble, and Boston is kind of who a lot of people predicted to win the whole thing. Yeah. Um, Boston is in trouble, but I don't count them out either. I, I does not surprise me if they go to Philly and win game six. They're desperate. We're going to find out if Philadelphia is mature enough to close Boston out. We're going to find out if Maxi can be consistent and do it back-to-back games. We're going to find out if James Harden can really be James Harden or if James Harden of the playoff failures doesn't show up. Because if James Harden doesn't show up in game six, he's not showing up in game seven either. <laughs> Why is that? Why is that? Because that's James Harden's track record. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. No. But, you know, uh, I'm rooting I'm rooting for Philly. You know what? I'm rooting for Philly because I really want to see. I'm rooting for Philly. I really want to see Jimmy Butler and the Heat. It looks like because they looks like they're going to beat New York, mm -hmm. right? I think it'll be so poetic, or it'll be a great story for Jimmy Butler, the eight seed, Miami Heat, beat the one seed, beat the Knicks. He, Thibodeau was his coach in Minnesota, right? Or Chicago? Which one was it? Chicago. Chicago. And oh. Minnesota, right? Yeah. And then go to Philly, his ex. They trailing him away. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He's just like checking them off, like, okay, you next, you next. And then, and then, wow. Back to the mm, I, I'm, I'm going to do a Charles Barkley. I guarantee <laughs> that if Philly beats Boston, they're not losing to Miami. <laughs> you heard it here on the coach and the culture. I guarantee <laughs> that if Philly goes through Boston, they are not losing. That gonna happen. It's gonna happen. Good TV. I have Philly is a horrible matchup for Miami. Joel and Miami got nobody big enough to deal with Joel and B. That's true. So can I give you my finals prediction today? Yeah, I already. Hey, I've changed about 17 times over the last week and a half. Mm -hmm. My finals prediction today. Mm -hmm. Denver comes out of the West in a brutal seven-game series against the Lakers if the Lakers beat Golden State. Even though part of me feels like Golden State might come back and win three in a row. But I'm going to go with what it looks like right now. Right, right. That's right fair. Now it looks like the Lakers are going to finish Golden State in one of the next two games. Then I feel like Denver, I feel like Denver, I feel like Denver might go into Phoenix and win game six and close out Phoenix on the road. But if they don't, I'm pretty confident that Denver's going to win game seven. I do feel like whoever, if anyone beats Denver, probably it's gonna. It would have to be the whatever they go. Yeah, man. Denver's. But I, I feel like Denver. I feel like so. My prediction is Denver wins the West right now. Philly wins the East, and I feel like the NBA world has the next best thing to a New York LA NBA Finals. Mm. When I say New York, LA, I mean the markets, right? Right, so right, right. From a from a marketing standpoint, one would Close be enough. one would be the Lakers and New York Knicks. One A would be the Lakers and Boston Celtics. Yeah, yeah. Then two would be Jokic 
the two-time former MVP, big man, against MB, the current MVP, big man. Oh, what a matchup. In the NBA Finals. Seven games of that? Oof. That'd be nice, man. Oof. And then three would be LA. Godzilla and Carl. I don't know, you know. Yeah, no, I think that... Uh, so, so my prediction right now is Denver comes out of the West, Philly comes out of the East, and we got a marketing darling between two players that has not been seen since Bird versus Magic. I'm gonna stick with. Yeah, uh, what is what is? Let's check this out. And that's one. That's one. That's one scenario. What about okay. this scenario? Okay. If Miami go in and do what I like them to do, knock off uh, Knicks, knock off Philly, I guarantee. <laughs> <laughs> what if there's a a a rematch of Miami Heat and Lakers? Lakers will beat them again. <laughs> they are deep. They are deep. What's the, it would be? If, this is the great thing about I mean, the Wiki story. They're a cute story, and they are absolutely an indictment on a a stab of affirmation on how culture impacts an organization. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, I don't feel like they have enough bullets to fire out in the streets with them. Dudes. Good point. Because regardless, man, the Lakers. That trade, that last trade that made made a difference, a huge difference. It reinvigorated LeBron. LeBron was in. They made the trade. LeBron was like, well, we should come back and play a little bit this season. I try to do it out me. <laughs> maybe, I, maybe we got a shot now. You know what about my ankle feel better. <laughs> I'm feeling okay on it, son. You know? <laughs> yeah, man, it's interesting, man. It's, it's really good. So maybe we'll, we'll check in. Then towards the um, towards the end of the day. next next round, and we'll let's check in the next round. Man, we have gone way over our time, uh, but it's been a fun conversation. Lots to talk about. You know, we talk about these playoff teams left. Like I said, the common denominator amongst all of them: consistency and continuity. Yes, only team that I would say doesn't have that. Is the Phoenix Suns, mm-hmm. but they got KD. And book a team ball. that you could say doesn't have that completely is the Los Angeles Lakers, but they got LeBron. And you know those are two of the trend. You know them two along with Steph Curry have been the transcendent players of this era. Mm-hmm. And so you know they can overcome some things, but the Lakers also have an identity. And they have an identity that LeBron has bought into. Yeah. That identity is defense. And, uh, you know, and Anthony Davis has been the, you know, him and uh, Joel Embiid have been 1-1A, one one the two best defensive players in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So, there's, so there's that. And the Timberwolves, I feel like, have the pieces to really do some things. But they need consistency. They need continuity so that they can develop trust and they can develop the style of play, that, that repeatable style of play that wins games for them. Mm-hmm. They're not going to get there if they trade Cat, if they fire Finch, if they do too much shaking up. I think they bring back their starting five. They bring back Kyle Anderson. They bring back Nas Reed. And then you make some decisions on the kill of Alexander Walker and Torian Prince. I think you got to bring back one of those two, if not both of them. And if you don't bring back, you know, whichever one you don't bring back, you have to have a basketball IQ, as Kylie said, and shooting upgrade to take their place. I lean toward bringing back Nikhil Alexander-Walker and not bringing back Torian Prince, but that means you have to find somebody who is as good a shooter as Torian Prince um, or better. Like, you got to bring back, 
if you're not going to bring back Prince, you got to bring back somebody that's shooting 38 to 40 percent from the three point line and can do it on the move. Mm -hmm. If you're bringing back Nikhil Alexander Walker, you're bringing back somebody who can play the backup one or the backup two. He reminds me of Livingston that played for the um, championship run. Yeah. I can play that role as a big backup point guard, mm -hmm. defender type, um, facilitator, um, you know, um, and and really help defensively in a pinch, run someone in a pinch, can play off the ball as well. But if you're not going to bring back Torian Prince, you better bring back a sharpshooter. You better go get you a sharpshooter. So that 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 leaves out uh, Dylan Brooks then. Oh hell no! <laughs> Don't that leaves him out. Can we get? Brooks on his team. The last thing you need is another volatile, emotional personality <laughs> added. He said we want to bring in IQ and maturity, not the office. <laughs> Don't bring in nobody dumb enough to poke LeBron James. <laughs> Hell no. Hell. But Curry's younger brother ain't a bad fit. If they can get uh if they can get Luke Kennard. I'll take that too. I mean, there's some guys out there. Yeah, yeah. That'll be real nice. Yeah, I figured out. All right, man. We are way over time. I believe my son, Lance Gardner, uh, college basketball player and owner of Yes Trees, uh, tree trimming and tree removal, is going to be our guest. Um, we can talk about some Timberwolves. We're going to talk about some college basketball at the lower levels, maybe some things that he sees as similarities and differences in basketball between what he sees on TV and basketball at the divisional level one, two, and three. Um, and then talk a little bit about his business and maybe we can even get him to be a sponsor, you know, once we get him onto the program. With it. All right, man. Uh, party people, this has been the Coach and the Culture Podcast, formerly known as the Coach and the Crooner. I am Coach Frank Twally, hanging out with the super producer, Mr. Lloyd Leon Coop. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Coach and the Culture podcast. Hit us up on Twitter under the Coach of the Culture. Hit me up on uh, Facebook, still under the Coach and the Crooner moniker. I know a lot of, a lot of monikers were working on getting it consolidated into one. But uh, seek me out on Twitter uh, under Frank Twally Gardner. And uh, hit me up and let us know what you thought about the program. Let us know how we can improve it. And please continue to support us. We are going to get better. They won't all be this long, I promise you. Uh, but we had a lot to cover today. Thanks for tuning in. Peace. Peace.